Well, what's so, the, what's the difference between bookkeeping and accounting? I was going to ask that. Yeah, that was my next question. Please enlighten us. I'm so happy you asked that. Now, before I answer it, I'm going to tell you that this is a conversation in and of itself. And I have had this conversation with many accounting professionals that, in my opinion, can't answer it. So I'm I'm thinking our profession struggles to articulate this to our own clientele. So that being said, it's very simple in my mind. May I have your attention, please? We use Tally for for every one of our clients. So how many tax returns do you guys do in a typical year? Uh, I think we did 500 this year. Before there is this tally four, how did you guys handle this? Uh, yeah, before it was super messy. We did not have, as we've, we've grown a lot over the past four years. So like our work paper standardization needed some help, which tally four has definitely helped out a lot with because it forces everything in, into one standard work paper that we then use as the work papers. But before we were just using Excel, we were just using QBO and we would export, you know, the two years of P&L, the two years of balance sheet. That was what we would use for our work papers. I don't know. It probably saves at least an hour per return. And then just for tax prep, and if we're doing tax projections for clients and we actually need to get the K-1, like get an idea of what the K-1 is going to look like, then we also use it for the projections. Yeah, well, that's huge too. Some of the bullets under the tax hero section of Tally 4. Automate your book to tax, deliver tax returns faster, minimize extensions, reduce staff turnover, focus on tax strategy, right? Tell us what that means to you, Shane. The more time we spend on moving one expense or like aggregating 10 expenses into the legal line or into the accounting line or into the other deductions, like that's just a waste of time, frankly. So Tally4 really cuts down on the administrative preparer's job of aggregating various general ledger items into one line on a tax return so that we can focus more on how much can we put into your 401k this year? Like, what is the R&D tax credit going to look like? How much cash do we just need to have on hand on March 15th and April 15th of 2023 or next year, whatever? So that our clients, who we all have like a deeper relationship with, can decide on whether or not how much house they can afford or if they're going to bring on a new business partner, things that actually add more value. May I have your attention, please? Welcome to Accounting High. It's freshman year at a brand new school. Here, we have no rules in place as we're on a mission to set our own traditions. So hang tight and learn with us as we grow. At Accounting High, you can expect to gain knowledge in a completely different way than what you may be used to with some fun and oftentimes colorful conversations. Whether you loved high school or you hated it, here's your chance to be a part of an unforgettable experience redone. While you're here, don't forget to follow us on Spotify or subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you may be listening to us right now so you don't miss out on any new episodes. And feel free to leave us a five-star review letting us know how the school year is treating you. So sit back, relax, and open your mind because class is in session. I repeat, may I have your attention please? This is another public service announcement brought to you in part by Accounting High. The views and events expressed here are of the next generation of accounting and tech professionals leading this space. The events and suggestions are not to be taken lightly. Children should not partake in the listening of this podcast. Anything else? Yeah. So without further ado, introducing the star of our show, Jason Ackerman and Scott Scarano.
class is in session. Jason, you want to introduce our guest? I, I have no idea how to pronounce his last name, so no. It's too complicated. Introduce yourself. Connect. Connect, like connect. Oh, the well, dot. that's there easy. There you go. Real, real short and simple. Simple. Roger, connect. There you go. Connect the dots. Now, for our, I guess our listeners would have seen it on the cover, but it is spelled K-N-E-C-H-T. So Ackerman's not good when when you start mixing. I'm a numbers guy. Consonants. Yeah. There's one vowel in there. Too many consonants. There's, there's for a them. lot of. There you go. There's a lot of letters that don't go together. <laughs> Roger, thank you for joining us. Today. My pleasure. Happy to be here. Really appreciate it. Sorry we couldn't get get you on sooner. I I just found your podcast, like when I when I first reached out to you, which was several months ago. Yeah. But this was an, this wasn't a bad turnaround time. We met already. We chatted a little bit. Ackerman's this is his first experience with the Roger Connect. Yeah. Um, why don't you first just go into how did you get into this whole accounting space? You've been doing this for a while. Yeah. So very simple. I started more than 20 years ago working with accounting professionals, helping them find either temporary or permanent placement positions. I was a, a headhunter. So as a recruiter, I was basically working with accounting professionals on either a kind of project type basis or really some temp to perm opportunities. And it was a great gig. It was working with people as they were transitioning, giving them opportunities to work in different companies and more importantly, get experience where maybe they could test the waters of what it is they wanted to do or maybe try a company. A lot of good experiences with that. And from there, I was introduced to Universal Accounting Center. It was at the time that I was taking graduates from the various programs they had and placing them in positions and had a good deal of success with the employers wanting more of those types of people. And so I found myself more and more leaning as to Universal being a resource for me. And from that, ended up being given a position. So 22 plus years ago, I was offered a position with the company. So our new logo, our new uh, branding is, it kind of looks like Netflix. Okay. Your your Universal there looks like Universal. Like it looks like the studio Universal. I'm looking at it now and it's like almost exactly what now I don't know this Do is, you employ Harry this Potter is you started working for? No, 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 no. Not quite Harry Potter, but is there is there a correlation there? Is there something something to that? There's not. I don't know the origin of the logo in the sense that it was here long before I was employed with Universal. The company okay. started in seventy nine, so as to the origin of the logo, I don't know that story. So that's a good question. I wonder which one came first, if this was 79. <laughs> I could definitely tell you I the, think the other one studio came, came first. first. Yes. Yes, yes. Okay. One was inspired by the other. Well, yeah. it almost looks identical at this point. When you say Universal and I see that, that's all I think of. But. So I'm going to now go look at their logo and see, because I, I didn't even realize that there may be a correlation. But honestly, when you talk of universal people tend to imply or think that there's some association there's obviously not so all right well we can say ua or you know sometimes with accounting high i say ah there you go but um yeah so you started at universal i did this is not is it, is it your company now is it is it, you just employee there so about eight nine i can't remember now maybe even 10 years ago i became president of the company so I do have shares in the business, but I'm not the principal owner of the company. It's, it was originally a family-owned company, and I'm not family, so it was kind of interesting that I was given the opportunity to become president, but I'm the third president of the business. Okay, okay. And you still are the president now? I still am the president, yes. Okay. 
do you want to give me an idea of of all the different are there sub brands or what's the um what are all the arrows in the logo so uh, what you're looking at here are basically the programs that we offer Program. actually just a few of them there are uh, some subdivisions or uh, departments of the company that are perhaps worth mentioning but as for what you're seeing behind me this is what we, what we'd refer to as the path to having the premier accounting firm and basically what it is is it's focused on three core areas of services you need to be in your firm considering offering either bookkeeping and accounting services tax planning and, and preparation services and then lastly CFO and advisory services and this is meant to be how you would incorporate those services in your company whether it's a singular individual performing those functions for the client or multiple individuals within the organization fulfilling these uh, different roles. Okay. So I think a lot of firms struggle with the third mm-hmm. one. Do you find where where do firms kind of, at what point do they need you guys to come in and, and help them with some of this? Well, it's definitely in all of those facets, but I'm going to answer it this way. When I meet with a business owner who's running an accounting business, I'll ask them three questions. And in these three questions, I'll typically find what their biggest fear or challenge or perhaps opportunity may, may be for, let's say, the next year or before the end of the year. And it's in these three questions that we're able to kind of focus on what it is next that they need to be doing. And the first question is, is whether or not they're trying to grow the business currently, get more clients. The second would be, if you don't need more clients, you're happy there. It may be the second, which is the services you're providing. And it's simply to say, I love the clients I've got. I just feel I can do more for them and perhaps increase the value of the services I'm providing and hopefully charge more for what I'm doing. And then the third could be, I don't need more clients and I don't want to do anything more, but I do want to work more efficiently or profitably. And so when it's in the third area, they're looking at how can we go deeper with the clients, earn more from them, and more importantly, retain them longer we talk about these services that are basically illustrated behind me. Are you completely involved at the, at the deep level with the bookkeeping and accounting services? Yes or no. Are you completely doing the tax planning and preparation services? Yes or no. And then the third being, are you doing CFO and advisory? And you're right. Many of them say, I'm pretty good with the bookkeeping and accounting, perhaps the tax planning and preparation, but CFO and advisory, that, that's sexy. That, that appeals to me. I'd like to do more with my clients in that space. And so if that's the case, one of the big challenges they run into is how do they package it? How do they price it? But more importantly, how do they fulfill it? Once you get a client that's willing to pay you a certain sum of money each and every month for your CFO and advisory services, those first few months might be pretty obvious, but month, let's say four, month seven, what am I doing with the client that they're going to see value in me coming back and delivering for them? And that's where we really step in and give them a very clear, distinct program of how to price it, how to market it, how to fulfill it. And that's where they really start to see as partners or owners value in offering that service. Is it a repeatable process that they're that offering? Very much so. It's very turnkey. If you realize your clients have general business things that they're dealing with, and if you can create a process that they can experience over a 12, 18, 24-month engagement, you'll find that it's very turnkey. What you're doing for one client applies to another and a third. And so it allows your pricing to be a little bit more organized, your marketing to be a little bit more targeted. But the fulfillment, it's turnkey in the sense that what you're doing with one client is, again, like I said, done with the uh, second, third, and fourth. Mm -hmm. So what are some of the biggest struggles that people run into when they're trying to implement this? Because, again, it's like, 
it's this is the common factor of and a lot of consultants and people that I talk to they always run into the problem of everybody wants the information and then they do nothing with it they don't act practically they don't they don't ever actually end up doing anything with it oh excellent question so I think it's partly in the name if you think about it CFO and advisor an advisor typically implies that my role is to simply be there to educate, inform, try try and draw attention to certain business principles that they should be implementing in the business. And that's fine. But really what we end up teaching our people to do is become business coaches. And the reason why I say that is because at the coaching level, there's accountability. When I'm an advisor, I'm more or less indifferent to whether or not you're going to do what I asked you to do. I can teach you best practices, but whether or not you implement, that's up to you. It's your business. But when you take on a coaching capacity and they're paying you to be their coach, there's a great deal of responsibility that comes with it that's beyond just education and, and being that advisor. It now, in my opinion, consists of two things. One, we need to go deeper with questions. We really need to start holding them accountable. And the next is that accountability. It's really finding out what needs to be done, prioritizing it, and then really staying on top of them. You said this was important. Did you do it? And that really accelerates the implementation of these things within the business. And the business owner really appreciates it because in addition to learning best practices, they're now implementing because they're being held accountable for them. Does anybody ever resent you because they don't do it? And because they, <laughs> you've asked them to do it, you said this is important, and you haven't, still haven't done it. So no one resents me because <laughs> the way I do the coaching in my department, in my division of the company, is really it's their business. It's up to them to do. Now, there may be moments where they said it was important, and when I meet with them next, they haven't done anything. And, of course, everybody's got their story as to why they didn't do it. But that accountability of, but I will do it, it's all on them. I mean, at the end of the day, this is their company, and I respect that. So my job is to hold them accountable. But think of it from a coaching perspective. Maybe athletics is a good example. If you came to me and said that you want to, in your sport, excel and maybe get the state championship... But I'm going to insist that you be at the field, let's say, at 5 in the morning to do exercises, and I'm going to, through that process, coach you. But you stop showing up to the, the, to the uh, practices. You stop implementing or doing what I advise you to do. At the end of the day, the onus is on you, not me. It's you who's trying to get that state record. It's you who's trying to be the best on the field. And so I'm there, and I can only do so much, but I definitely have perspective. I have the experience and insights. But it's still ultimately up to you. It's your business. And so you've got to implement and apply those in your setting. Are you teaching accountants to become coaches with their clients? Yes. So the easiest way to explain it is when you've been doing accounting long enough, I think your confidence gets to a point where you feel you can actually do more with your clients than just provide the accounting and bookkeeping, perhaps tax preparation services that you are. And with your perspective and insights, you feel that you can really kind of elevate your game. And oftentimes the accounting professionals, when they speak with me, share that they feel they're already doing some of this for free. It's already being included in a lot of the services they're providing, and they'd like to now start charging for it. But they just don't know how to price it. And more importantly, they don't know how to distinguish it from the bookkeeping and accounting they're already doing. And what is that difference between it and the CFO or advisory services? So the biggest thing is that clarity. What is each of those services? But in addition to that clarity, it really does come down to permission. They look for permission. What is, what's my right as an accounting professional 
to step into this business coaching space and be that CFO and advisor? What allows me to take on that relationship with the client? And that oftentimes is kind of an imposter syndrome type situation. You know, how do I portray myself and deliver in that space? And that's a lot of the training. It's really giving you the confidence to look a business owner in the eye and say, I can take care of your needs. I can help you run your business more profitably and effective and effectively. But the second then is the competence, the ability to then know month two, month six, month 12, what I'll be doing with the client that is still relevant, that is worth them paying me for. Do accountants have trouble with the with the uncertainties of coaching somebody? Like how do you how do you get them past that? So the fact of doing books, doing taxes, you know, I, we have this conversation a lot where you're pointing to something that's already been done versus having unstructured conversation. I guess it, it's structured in a way because you're giving mm-hmm. templates and, and ways to run it. But yeah, do they do they struggle with that initially? Initially, yes, because they don't know what it is. So let me just take your point. Bookkeeping is pretty obvious. The transactions, as you said, have been done. I'm responsible to record them, collect them, prepare financial reports using them. That's pretty obvious. The accounting's pretty clear. I'm taking that bookkeeping information. I'm taking the P&L, the balance sheet, cash flow statement, and I'm interpreting that. I'm trying to draw conclusions from that, do forecasts. And all of that information is helpful to the business owner. But when I'm now trying to consider now what more I can be doing in the CFO space, helping them implement policies and procedures in their company to help with cash flow, let's say, helping them manage their payables, receivables, and so forth, that there is is a little bit beyond what some people may be comfortable with as accounting professionals until they see that it is structured and possible. The advisory, the coaching that we're talking about, until they see that there's actually a turnkey process, they're somewhat reluctant because obviously they're going to be paid additionally for this. But once they see that there is a structured pro- process, a let's say a turnkey methodology, their confidence comes up and they're more than happy to then begin working with their clients in that capacity. So you kind of touched on this. I love these finger points. I feel good about them. Okay, you mentioned accountants being scared. What do you think accounts are scared of the most? So I'm going to be over, I'm going to overgeneralize here. When I work with accounting professionals, oftentimes they don't feel they have a voice in either the boardroom or within management. Something's lacking to say that they have the ability to speak up and guide or influence some of the decision-making going on in the business. Once they start to realize that they have a perspective and insight in the company that no one else has because of their understanding of the numbers, they start to realize they, they not only have a voice, but they need to be speaking up. And so there's this evolution that I find myself going through with many of the accounting professionals where it's getting that permission to bring up things that can really impact not only in you know revenue, margins, profit. It, it's all of a sudden they start to see that they have an integral part to play in the business. And that's where they start to gravitate towards that CFO and advisory space because they've got all the access to the information. They just haven't really seen how they can bring it to the attention of management or the owner in a, an effective way. And that's what we're trying to do is empower them to do just that. And you've mentioned these three kind of core accounting functions. Yeah. Bookkeeping, tax, and CFO advising. Which yeah. one of those is the most, I guess, the most profitable? Definitely the most lucrative is the CFO and advisory space. 
There's less time involved in doing the preparation of the work and more the uh, creative space that sometimes people find fun and engaging. So definitely there's more of a margin there. You can be paid more for your services in that space. Um, can I challenge that? Yeah, go ahead. So if you are not the one doing the work, so let's say we're talking about the owners here, that is very profitable because you can charge the most and you're going to get the most out of out of your bottom line if you're the one doing it. If you have to hire for that role, I've found at least in a lot of conversations that that becomes the least profitable because you have to pay people the most to be that CFO, C, CFO advisor, right? Very fair. So let's put it into context. In the case of a sole practitioner, if they had three services that they're providing, accounting, bookkeeping, tax planning, preparation, CFO and advisory, they're probably getting their greatest margin in the tax planning services they're providing. And they're probably getting the most, let's say, value add at that CFO and advisory level. But when you're in a firm where you're actually, as an owner, hiring employees to one person or a department is overseeing the accounting and bookkeeping for the client, another person or division of the business is actually taking care of the tax needs, and the last is the CFO and advisory, you admittedly are going to be paying more for the CFO and advisory services to be fulfilled by someone other than yourself. And so to your point, yes, it, it can have less of, um, uh, let's say, a margin in the sense that you've got somebody else fulfilling it. But I would push back and say, if you price it correctly, you, you can be as lucrative, if not more there. There's plenty of firms out there that do you know, fractional CFO or part-time CFO services very lucratively, not providing tax or accounting services, and they do it with a higher margin than the, let's say, the bookkeeping service does. So why, why okay. is, if the bookkeeping is the least profitable, why are we like pushing accounting firms and CPAs to do the bookkeeping? I don't know if I would say it's the least profitable, and I wouldn't say we're pushing them there. I think it's just natural to assume that you're going to pick it up. Now, I say that, I don't suggest anyone do anything, which is to say, I know firms where they don't do the bookkeeping, but they do the accounting. And they don't do the tax planning, but they do the tax preparation. You know, you can pick and choose what your services are that you would like to provide. So I guess it just kind of defaults to what kind of business model you want to adopt for your clients. If you're taking on clients where internally they're actually having staff inside the business take care of the bookkeeping capacity, you're admittedly then perhaps doing just the accounting. If you're just trying to focus on the tax, you may not even do tax preparation and solely focus on tax planning services, doing R&D tax credits, doing cost segregation. There's a lot of business in there and you're not doing accounting, bookkeeping, tax preparation. So it really can get segmented, but I it just depends on your business The question is, if you were going to start a firm from scratch today, what services would you provide? <laughs> That's a great question. Personally, if I was to be doing it, it would be more focused on the accounting. And if necessary, my clients could purchase a package of mine that would include the bookkeeping. So now we're getting into kind of pricing and packaging. Well, what's, so, the, what's the difference between bookkeeping and accounting? I was going to ask that. Yeah, that was my next question because I'm so far removed now. I don't even know that there's a – I guess I, I don't – please enlighten us. I'm so happy you asked that. Now, before I answer it, I'm going to tell you that this is a conversation in and of itself. And I have had this conversation with many accounting professionals that, in my opinion, can't answer it. So I'm, I'm thinking our profession struggles to articulate this to our own clientele. So that being said, it's very simple in my mind. 
bookkeeping is anything and everything done to actually prepare the financial reports. So it's that process of taking all the transactions and putting together the monthly P&L balance sheet. That is the core of bookkeeping. You can literally offer bookkeeping services where you hand off to the client on a monthly, quarterly basis the financial reports, giving them the P&L, the income statement, the balance sheet, the cash flow statement, hand it to them and say, it's here, it's complete, it's accurate, use it as you may and walk away and not in, not highlight, interpret anything, that information, and as a business, provide competent, very appropriate bookkeeping services and be done. But what the accounting service is, is taking it another level. And that's to simply say that once those reports have been created, someone needs to help the business owner or management understand what those reports are saying. And so this is where the accounting comes in. And the accountant is literally now taking those reports and they're doing analysis to say, how does last month compare to the previous month, last month to previous? How does last month compare to same month last year? How does this quarter compare to last quarter? How does this last quarter compared to the same quarter previous year. It's doing analysis to show trending, what's happening with our margins, what's going on with cost of goods, what's happening to, let's say, advertising associated to gross profit. All of those assessments are actually being done to help the business owner now understand what the data is telling them. If no one is doing the accounting work, actually interpreting the data for the business owner, the business owner does not have the information they need to make more informed business decisions. And that is where I feel the accounting profession too often falls down. We provide the financial reports and assume the business owner can interpret and read them. We need to be providing, in addition, that accounting information to simply say, look, your cost of goods have gone up. In fact, this year over last year, they've gone up 10%, but you haven't done a price increase yet. Your profit margin has decreased. Why is it decreased? Well, your cost of goods have gone up, your payroll has gone up, your advertising has gone up. We have to be able to interpret this for the business owner. They don't have the skills to do it. We've said for years, accounting is the language of business, but we fail to realize as accounting professionals that our role is to be the translator for the business so that the business owner can now understand what's being said by the company. The company's talking, it's producing this financial information, but unless the business owner is listening, they can't make those informed business decisions unless as accounting professionals, we act as that interpreter. I love that that we are the interpreter. If accounting is the language of the business, then the accountants are the translators. That's right. Our job is to take that language, just like you would speak in Spanish, and I'm trying to convert that to English. You don't need as a, as a business owner to learn Spanish, but the business speaks in Spanish. It speaks in accounting. So my role as the accounting professional is to help of that entire dialogue, all those papers of information, to extrapolate what's important for you to know so that you can actually understand the, the essence of the conversation. You didn't have to learn Spanish, but by darn, I can interpret it for you and say, this is what the paper's talking about. This is what it's going into. And if we need to, we can dive deeper. Otherwise, you're going to say, no, nah, I'm not interested in that. Move on. It's fine. So we're the business translators. Yes. And... I don't think we've ever even gone into that or did we talk about that? I like that because that's kind of, of different than yeah. so the CFO is then the next step of like telling them what to do. You're with, you got the translation, which is giving them the words and then the next levels, the coaching. Yeah. yeah. The next level CFO CFO yeah. is another level entirely. The CFO, whether it's fractional part-time or internal W2, the CFO is supposed to be coming in and actually arranging relationships with vendors, capital, like the banks, uh, investors, 
But more importantly, they're supposed to be establishing within the company the standard operating procedures. We have cash flow situations. How much money in a transaction should we have deposited in that transaction to cover certain costs? Otherwise, we go upside down if we're waiting until the end of the job to actually be paid anything. So how much do we get paid up front? How much do we carry? Do we extend lines of credit on our own or do we sell the paper to someone else? It's it's all this cash flow stuff. Well, the business owner, they're great at doing their job, selling it, but all the intricacies of the numbers, where we're getting the funds, lines of credit, capital to run the business, that's the CFO role. The CFO is supposed to say, in order for you to run your business, you need to go get different terms with this vendor. Instead of net 10, you need net 30s. With this lender, you need to actually get it so you can have this line of credit or this business loan. We need to go get another business loan. Why? Because if you hire this salesperson and open up this market, you're going to sell this much more and you don't have the capital to run your business. Well, as a CFO, I'm coming in and I'm adjusting this to say, well, you need to have a line of credit available to you that's got three months worth of monies there for you to actually cover payroll, cost of goods, to deliver on the products you're going to sell on the front end until you can get the payables coming in or the receivables coming in. So this whole narrative, that's at the CFO level. That's not the bookkeeper. That's not the accountant. That's the CFO. I guess myself included, maybe have been looking at this wrong and seeing like the accountant and the CFO role as kind of sim- the same, but what you're saying is it's different. It should be priced differently. It's kind of two different roles. It is. So in my opinion, Accounting is very, very much taking the financial reports and helping put that in information, graphs, trends, line graphs, whatever, so that the business owner can take the information they're receiving and make decisions with it. And if as an accountant, I can say your margins are changing here, your your business, you're no longer selling this product or your ROI on this advertising isn't working anymore. Helping the business owner just take that information and make decisions with it is great. But I see the CFO level being more, I'm involved with conversations with vendors, trying to negotiate different terms. I'm involved with the lending institutions, the investors, those relationships. As a CFO, I'm involved with policies related to how are we managing, uh, let's say, uh, collections? How do we age our receivables? When do we write them off to collections? When do we, uh, how much do we expect of the customer if they pay in full versus finance? Do we offer self in-house financing? or we offer financing through some other entity. It's all this cash flow policies, procedures, workflow that we've got to establish within the business that I think sometimes the business owners just really don't have a mind for. They're great at selling their product and they're great at delivering it, but all that money management, that's what a lot of companies I've seen have struggled. And as a CFO, you can really come in and implement policies and procedures to manage payables, receivables. Great example, I used to have a business that just paid this is a client of mine that just paid bills as they came in. But when I said, look, if you actually manage your payables and you paid bills only twice a month, you would be in a position where your your bank account would grow larger. And in doing so, you could prioritize who you're paying and pay those that are recurring payments more frequently and more regularly than you are the one-offs. And you can manage better your cash flow and keep more money in the bank. That business owner was just in awe because for them, it was just I got a bill, I'm going to pay the bill. And at the end of the day, you know, I just did my job, paid the bills, paid the bills. But there wasn't a strategy to it. You give them a strategy and all of a sudden they see their bank account grow. They've got some management. Somebody says, you know, they've got to be paid. Well, I've got you changed from net 10 to net 30. All of that goes on. Their cash flow changes dramatically 
and the stresses associated with running the business are entirely different. Well, I did that not in the role of an accountant. I did that in the role of a CFO. So in that hierarchy, where does coach fall in? Coach is that next level where at the CFO, I'm not really trying to implement a lot of things um, that are outside of the accounting and cash flow. But when you're a business coach and you're looking at things that actually determine the valuation of the business, that valuation of the business could involve things that are outside of the accounting. It could involve things related to human resources. It could involve things that are related to, let's say, product lines. All of a sudden, as a business coach, I'm getting into things that could impact the exit strategy that the business owner may be considering that determines the value of the business. And as a coach, I'm educating them as to what those things are. And I'm helping them identify how to implement them in the company. All of a sudden now, I'm no longer seen as the accountant. I'm seen as this overall business strategist. And I'm really helping them outside of just the bookkeeping, accounting, tax. I'm in, I'm definitely a much more integral part of their success as a business owner with the end game in mind. I'm helping them build a business that's sellable, that's worth the most it can be at the end. Is there distinguishing... So these, now it's probably just going to be semantics, but we've got also advisor and consultant that uh-huh. gets thrown around. I'll throw one more in, mentor. Oh, oh wow. But mentor, I see, is more of like the coach We need like, I, I there needs that. to be a map. I need a map. Oh, let me give it to you. This is easy. This is real easy. I will first of all acknowledge that what I'm about to say is semantics, and for a lot of people to kind of get hung up on it. Sure. But let's be clear, and I think with this clarity, we can help the conversations we're having with our clients. And hopefully even within our own profession. So you've got four people. You've got a mentor. You've got a consultant. You have an advisor and you have a coach. Very simple. The mentor, Four guys walk into a bar. Four guys walk into a bar. The mentor is a friendship. It's an association. It's someone that you're collaborating with, mastermind. It's basically someone that you're working with that has experience and expertise, but you're not paying them. You're just associating with them and through your interactions, learning. So there's not, a, not a, an official, let's say, negotiated relationship. There's not a transaction going on. It's merely merely an association. And it could be through some organizations that you may participate in, Vistage or or EO or something. But the point is, is you're associating with these people and being mentored by them. Consultant, the consultant is someone that has an expertise that you are paying to do a project. So they're being paid because of who they are, what they know, to do something specific within the business. But that consultant comes and goes, so they're paid to do a task and then they leave. The advisor is more educational. The advisor is coming in, educating as to what needs to be going on in the business, informing you as to best practices, but that education could happen in a group setting or a one-on-one, but whether or not you implement it is not up to the advisor. The advisor is indifferent. They taught you best practices, explained it to you, but it's up to you to actually implement it. The business coach is totally different. It's the coach that you'd see on the sideline. It's the coach that has skin in the game to simply say, I'm here to actually help you move the needle, but you move it. And that coach is basically working off of two key elements. They're asking the right questions and they're holding you accountable. The advisor doesn't hold you accountable. They educate you, but they don't hold you accountable. The coach does. The coach is being paid at that point to basically ensure that what you're learning you're implementing. Now, it's up to the person to say, yes, they will or won't as to when and why, and maybe even delegate. But the point is, is that the business coach is actually helping them not just learn as an advisor would, but implement. 
And so those are your four key roles. Mentors, association, consultant is you're paying them to do the job. Advisor is teach me best practices. And you can go to trainings, conferences, whatever, and sp- sp- you know hear from advisors. But the coach is actually coming in, perhaps working with you one-on-one to ensure it gets done. Pat Riley. <laughs> is that the only basketball coach you know? That's the one that came up. I was actually going to say Phil Jackson because you look like Phil Jackson. You remind me of him a little bit. So <laughs> Very good. I was going to say that, but Pat Riley just comes to my head. Good. Yeah. <laughs> so where That's, So where does CPA fit into all of this? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, not to offend any CPAs out there, but offend really away. what – There you go. The thing that really distinguishes the CPA is two things. They can actually do an audit – so if I'm having you do my books and you're a CPA, by definition, you can't audit your own books. And so the CPA comes in and provides an auditory function that other people can't perform. That's a CPA. The CPA can also go before the IRS and represent a client for, let's say, tax resolution services. So those are two functions that unless you're a CPA, you can't provide as an accountant, as a bookkeeper, as a tax preparer. So the CPA, if they're not offering audit services and they're not offering tax resolution services, really, they're definitely credentialed. I don't want to detract from their CPA, but they're not doing anything that anyone else can't do. The bookkeeper can do the bookkeeping. The accountant can do the accounting. The tax preparer can do the tax preparation. They can do the tax planning. They can do the CFO. They can do the advisory. The CPA does two things that the others can't do, auditory and tax resolution. Now, an EA could do tax resolution as well, But the CPA, those are the things that are distinguishing of who they are. And unless they're choosing to incorporate those in the services they're providing, yes, they're CPAs, but it's no different than I'm an accountant, but I don't do accounting. I just provide bookkeeping. Does that make sense? Yeah. So do you you think the CPA means anything anymore to anybody? Yes, it does. It does. Outside of the profession, you have to realize that to the layperson, CPA is, in many people's minds, the epitome of the accounting professional. And so it has clout and it does allow you to actually charge more for your services. But again, I'll argue that one, unless you're doing audit or resolution, you're not doing anything anyone else can't do. And two, I I would suggest that uh, over time and with experience, I don't know that what you're doing is particularly unique to your clients that someone else couldn't perform it and do. Now you could, as a CPA, become an expert in certain things, but but that is no different than an accountant becoming an expert or a tax preparer becoming an expert in, in that same space. So when we talk about some of the practices that you work with, the person at the head, the principal, mm-hmm. the CPA, let's say they're, so yeah. what, what do they, what is their role? Is their role CEO? Is their role, what is their role called typically that you phrase it as? Cause so I've it's generally they're the owner or they're the partner within the firm. And so what I'm doing as I work with them is I'm obviously working with the owners or partners of the firm, and we're either training them on how to work in their business, whether it's marketing and growing their firm, offering new quality services, or working more efficiently and profitably, that mapping illustration that I gave you earlier. Uh, We refer to that as mapping the business, marketing and sales, M, accounting services, A, P, production, working efficiently and profitably. So I'm working with them to run their business and, in fact, build the premier accounting firm but as I'm doing so, oftentimes it's either them or their staff that we're putting through various programs that we help to use to implement these products, services, or processes in the company. So the traditional CEO model versus a partnership. 
does this does this ever become a distinguishing factor like the difference between i guess what do you think is the ideal practice setup yeah yeah (laughs) the ideal model so great question it it varies we have a lot of great questions today no this is great the the thing that varies is really for the owner how they want to have a relationship with those that are in the firm if they want to have a peer relationship because as an exit strategy they see themselves eventually moving out maybe doing an ESOP where they're selling the firm to the employees maybe the with the partnership role they're going to have them take on certain responsibilities it depends on the structure of the organization in other words so is there an ideal it's it's just what their what their business model is and what their end game is but what do you think is the if you were to design a firm, mm-hmm. I, I guess what's the average my design, size? Firm? My design, my design would be partners. I want to have people who have skin in the game. I like to have people that are making decisions as if they're in an owner's mentality, and so I'm willing to share some of the benefit or the profits, if you will, with my partners. That's my idea. And what do you think? That's how that's how I run my company. Let's put it that way. And what do you think the ideal size of an accounting firm is? Oh, ideal size. Again, it, it varies. I have some people that don't like working with employees and have a very successful business as solo entrepreneurs. I've got firms that have five, 10, 20 employees, and it just, it varies. The The way I'd, I think may help doesn't best. Doesn't it hand- fundamentally, I don't mean to interrupt, but doesn't it fundamentally change the way a firm is run and structured and, and set up whether they have employees or don't? Yes, it does. Yeah. So when I talk about the three core services that a firm should be offering their clients, the the thing that I think uh, most owners recognize very quickly, it is in their best interest and that of their clients to eventually get to a point where they have someone overseeing each of those elements of the business and eventually grow their firms where they have somebody that is over the bookkeeping side of the company for their clients, someone that's over the accounting relationship with their clients, someone that is doing the tax planning and someone else doing the tax preparation, someone doing the CFO, and someone doing the business coaching. If you actually grow a firm to where you have individuals over that, you've got six key people that in and, on, in and of themselves may have departments, key employees in each of those areas. So you've got a firm now that's ultimately grown to the point where you've got, in essence, six key individuals that are in, involved with various elements of the business that their clients are running. And they each have staff of their own that are kind of facilitating each of those. So it's very powerful if you chose to have a firm that really went deep in each of those areas. But you work with people who are solo and like have multiple ones. Which one do you think are the happier ones? So again, it varies. I've got some who... On average. run their Yeah, on average, it's those that are actually outside of the business and they've delegated everything and they're not involved in the day-to-day operations of the company. They're the happiest. They've built an organization that works autonomous from them. And yes, they're aware of the companies that are clients of theirs, but honestly, they don't even interact with the clients. So they're the happiest because they've finally built an organization that they benefit from, but they're not involved in. So they're the happiest. Sounds that means like you just describe me. <laughs> There you go. So th- that right there is, I think. Scott, are you are you One... happy? No, I'll never be happy. I'm never you. satisfied. Well, we need to talk about that because it's a state of mind in its present present tense. But that being said, the the ideal I personally feel that I tell my clients 
is that they should be building a business that is a self-sustaining, living, breathing entity that exists autonomous from them. If the business owner can get to the point where they're no longer involved in the day-to-day operations of the business, they have built a company that can exist in perpetuity. And that's what we're talking about. And so it's whether you're doing that with your clients or doing that in your own company, that's what I think the ideal is. Okay, you've worked with... How many accounting, accountant, CPA firms have you worked with? I have no idea. I've been doing this for 22 years. So I, I, I started with Universal back in 1999, and I started working directly with the owners of businesses in, I would say, two, 2001. So, so however many I've done. So give us a story of one that like completely turned around that you were like, when you met them, you're like, oh God, this is bad to like, Okay, it worked out. I don't know why this particular one jumped to mind, but it did. So I'll share this story. I've I've got a person that I was working with. She came to me, came to us, Universal Accounting, wasn't me, came to Universal Accounting. And as we were working with her, she was trying to find something that she could do to supplement her income. She literally just wanted a handful of clients that she could do on weekends and evenings. And the reason why her story stood out to me is because recently I spoke with her again. And what happened is... First, she didn't think she could manage employees, and she just wanted to supplement her income. Well, go fast forward a few years. She basically left her job, ran her business, hired employees, also hired some contract workers. She got into the space where she was actually dealing with a lot of clients with cryptocurrency, and so she specialized into a niche. She became very, very well-known in that space, and her life is totally different. Now, did she ever start that journey with the intentions of going down that path? Of course not. Her whole goal initially was to supplement her income. And if I remember right, she was she was at the time considering a divorce. So she was definitely trying to become independent. And so all that stuff is playing into this. Well, now you fast forward and she's at a point where she's got her own business. She's got a business with employees. She's got contractors. She's in a niche. That's exactly what she's looking for, but her narrative when she started wasn't what she ended up with, but now she's extremely happy with what she's got. I love that. Does that answer your question? Yes, kind of. She was, she didn't sound like she was scared. Like she didn't think, no, she could do it on her own. It comes down to, it comes down to two things, confidence and competence. She was lacking, first of all, the confidence where she, like so many really struggle to know, can I look a business owner in the eyes and say, you run your business, I'm going to take care of the bookkeeping, the accounting, the tax. That confidence where you're going to get paid by someone to help them so that they can go do their their thing and do it well. That was a big deal. And it's oftentimes the big deal. Uh, I mentioned imposter syndrome earlier. That's a, That's a real thing. People really struggle. Can I deliver for my clients if they choose to pay me? The second thing is the competence. I'm not going to challenge necessarily whether or not you can go do the work and at the end of the day, deliver a, let's say an income statement, a PL that's accurate. I didn't ask. I'm not worried about that necessarily. It's debits, credits. Well, you should At the be. end of the day, the balance sheet is their balance. Yeah. Well, no, no, no. I, I am because I can't tell you how often accounting professionals mess it all up and that's a shame on the profession. But my point is, is this, rather than challenging your ability to actually do your job well, what I will challenge is you to do the job quickly enough that it's profitable. See, if you're taking time to produce a P&L for a client and it took you 10 hours, but in reality it should have taken you five, 
I'm not questioning at the end of the day the quality of the work. It's it's at the end of the day it's done. But what I am challenging is whether or not you were doing it profitably so that at the end of the day it was worth your time. That's where my challenge comes in. Now, on the back side, I will admit, too often I'm finding myself in a position myself in a position where the accounting isn't done right. I can tell you right now nearly 100% of the business clients that I have as business clients where where I am their business coach. When I'm looking at their accounting information, it is never, never what it should be. And I'm, I'm, I'm apologizing for the accounting profession as I'm working with my clients. They do not have the information they need to be making the, the decisions they should. And I'm regularly going back to work with the accounting professionals to actually help them actually fix the accounting. Their own accounting. So that we can have the information we need. Why do I you always see thought that? that there should be that a niche, like I should be the accountant's accountant. Oh, yeah. Like, no one does that because yeah. I think that could be helpful. Well, that's the business coach. So yeah. let me give it some context. And Scott, and I, know, I know you wanted to ask a question. The, the, the context is I go in in a division of our company called Universal Business Builder, and I'm a business coach. That's all I'm doing. I don't do accounting, tax. I just work with the business owners of certain industries, not even certain, any industry, and I'm their business coach. Well, when I go in, I'm needing to take the accounting information that they receive from their accountant and interpret it, use it to run the business, right? So often, not even so often, every time I go in and I get the accounting information, it's a mess. It's just a mess. And I go to the business owner. I say, what does this mean to you? And it doesn't mean anything. I go to the accountant. I'm like, why did you do this? Why did you do that? It's, it's laziness, in my opinion, because they don't think that the business owner is paying attention enough to catch them. And I catch them. I wouldn't run my business with that information. That answers my question, is why do you think that is? Like, why do you think that so many books are in array and it's, it's laziness? It's people, it's like laziness. their heads are somewhere else. Or oh yeah. Like they're, what? they're, they're being paid for a task. And admittedly, I think the profession has this philosophy of, of if I can get the job done quickly enough at the end of the day, I give them the P and L and I'm done with it and I'll do it, do it again next month. Let me just give you some examples. I've got one client where in their income, it is a single line. It's a single line. This is how much income they have brought in. I can't break it out by product. I can't break it out by different revenue streams. It's just a single line. Cost of goods. I have no cost of goods associated with the pro- with the the sales, the revenue. So I can't associate the cost of this is related to this revenue stream. Therefore, what's my percent of cost of goods? So I can see as a business coach, which of my product that I'm selling has the largest profit margin. I can't. It's a single line item for cost of goods and a single line item for revenue. I wouldn't run my business that way, but yet my clients are. And I'm asking them, why are you letting this happen? I go to the accountant. Why is the accountant comfortable giving a business a single line item for revenue and a single line item for cost of goods? It's laziness. Because they should have said, hey, I'm the accountant. I can see they sell 10 things. I should have 10 lines, 10 product lines. I can see that they have cost of goods. I should be able to associate that cost of goods with that, with that revenue stream. That to me is intuitive, but it's not done. You take that and you now break it out and you go down to the advertising. Advertising, it's a lump sum. I would want to actually say, what's what's going on with this advertising so that I can associate uh, ROI? I know this advertising sells that product. Well, that revenue should be associated with that expense. And I should be able to, just in the P&L, be able to do some just quick calculations, export that into a CSV file, do some Excel spreadsheets where I'm doing just real quick numbers. That's accounting to me. That's actually now taking the information that the P&L is giving me and making decisions. 
Are my margins with cost of goods and revenue changing year over year, month over month, quarter over quarter? I need to know this. With the inflation going on right now, the accountant should have, should have been the one confirming for the business owner what's actually changing. Hey, we should stop selling this or change the price. But too often, that single line item of revenue and that single line item of, of cost of goods, that single line item of advertising isn't enough information to run the business. Well, going to the advertising one, how, how should they be splitting that up? So in my world, I try to find out anything that, and, and I, I don't want to oversimplify this, but when I go to my clients, I want to say if there's anything that's 50% of the advertising, it should be its own sub line in the sense that I need a subcategory that says like Facebook advertising, Google AdWords, I don't know. I'm trying to think client that has advertising. This Radio certain. shows, podcasts. Radio shows, podcasts. I need to as- associate those lines. They should be standalone rather than all mixed into advertising. Mm. Yeah. I think it comes down to the bookkeeper, whoever's performing that service, doesn't, it might, I think it could be laziness, but I think it could also be like, the client doesn't, they think the client doesn't want to pay us to do that detail of work on the reconciling. And you need to sell it Correct. to them to tell them, hey, like, it's important that we break out revenue and cost of goods sold and expenses because how are you running your business with, if you have 10 products and it all comes under revenue? Yeah. So that's where I think the distinction between bookkeeper and accountant come in. The bookkeeper is by default saying, look, the advertising is the advertising dollars. The numbers are accurate. This is whether accrual or account or cash, this is accurate. What the accountant needs to be doing is coming in and saying, hey, I need your help breaking this out because I can't do the calculations I need. I need to be showing some trends and some margins here that I'm unable to identify because you're not going deep enough for me. And the accountant and bookkeeper need to have that correlation or that conversation before the business owner gets involved. The accountant needs to look good going to the business owner. Now, as the accountant does this with the bookkeeper, the bookkeeper is going to now be asked to do more than they were already doing. Now, there's a cost associated with this, but I think you can explain and justify that cost. It's just taking the chart of accounts and breaking it out a little bit more and doing some some better tracking throughout the month. And it takes but a month or two to figure out how we're going to manage this. Now, in an ideal world, you're going to be able to, within a quarter or less, really get this figured out. And now the business owner is getting some valuable information to run their business much more profitably because they can figure out if I'm going to do an ad, if I'm going to do a promotion right now I want to promote this product because my profit margin is that much larger because my cost of goods with this haven't increased with inflation like the others have so I've got to stop promoting and selling that selling this more but that's an incom- a conversation the accounting professional has not the bookkeeper the accountant with the business owner I got to say nobody has explained these titles to me where i understood yeah, i feel like before you before you i i get it we I needed Robert. all these we needed roger we did this is like a palate cleanser for me i learned a lot on this <laughs> okay You're good teacher i have to ask you about where does teacher fit in i guess that's the advisor right that's, yes that's what, advisor yeah. yes so that's the role you said that you are the ceo at universal accounting and you were i'm the president yes president, president. sorry well, for, now, now I, can well, you I am the, the difference? C- I am the CEO, but okay. Yes. Is there a difference between those two titles? Uh, yes, I think it's probably more namesake. I mean, I'm technically in some of the legal documents listed as both CEO and president. So mm-hmm. uh, by 
by legal documentation, I can tell you I've got <laughs> both of those titles. So yes. So, but when it you're that, go ahead. But you worked for, you said a family business that started it. So how yeah, a family? Well, I think a lot of accountants kind of deal with the same deal. They're they they're working for a family. You know, the accounting accounting firm was started by a family, and they're kind of the outsider coming in. So. Mm-hmm. Kind of how did Ackerman's talking about all of his? I'm talking about myself. He works for his dad. Yeah, <laughs> but there's many of us. Like we used to be called the sons of CPAs because there's a lot of sons yeah, of yeah, CPAs yeah. and daughters yeah. CPAs who are working for their parents in their firm. Yeah, you're when you're on. This is still sons of you're CPAs, an out- at accounting high. <laughs> but you're an outsider who went into the family side. Kind of mm-hmm. there's like issues with that potentially. How how did that work in your case and? Are there tensions now? Is there are there issues now? Like, how do you see it? it? It's kind of an interesting question. Tensions, not now. Were there? Yes. So the founder in '79 retired in the '90s. When he retired, he asked his son, a CPA, to come back to the school and run the school. He did. He retired. He took an early retirement from Exxon, came to Universal Accounting, ran the business. He ran the business into the 2000s. At that point, he chose to retire. So when he was retiring, he had a, a brother, the son of the owner, had a brother who was with the business back in the early 80s that was still with the business and was not a good candidate to be president. Let's just say that. So you had a conundrum. Does he give the business now as the third president to this brother or does he bring in an outsider or does he take someone within the organization and promote them? And it was a conundrum that he faced and there were two of us, two vice presidents at the time that he was considering for the position. I presume he would have looked outside as well. And coincidentally, he chose me. So I'm the third president. Well, as president, I have fired family members. I've fired my own wife. I have fired (laughs) my best friend. I have fired the, I, I let the brother go. He's since come back. Wait, 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 wait. hold on. You fired your wife. I fired my wife. Okay. I fired my wife. I fired my best friend. No, no, no. Explain how you fired your wife and you're still married. Okay, there you go. So <laughs> the way I the way I did it is we were, it was a division of the company. We have basically a number of divisions. Some of them I ended up closing. And because I closed the division, by default, she lost her job. So it wasn't directly she wasn't doing her job. So it wasn't job. a performance issue. No, it wasn't. And fortunately, I can say she was performing well enough that it kept the department open longer than it perhaps should have been. But regardless, we ended up shutting down the department. So I had to go to my wife and say, you no longer have a job. (laughs) Well, that's what they say is like to be a CEO of how many employees do you have? Right now, I'm uh, in the teens, about 15. Well, they say to like... Not too big. Once you get to a certain level, it's like you have to be able to fire your... like. I don't think they say wife. I think they say mother. But <laughs> the fact that you fired your wife. I did. Uh, so to think of it this way, and this is hard, but the business being this self-sustaining entity, you you're basically right for the, the steward of it. You do. You have to. Wait, it's like, is this your ex-wife or is this your wife? No, it's my current wife. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Yeah. And the, the point is, is you're at a point where you have to make some hard decisions. And when closing down divisions of the company, you have to let people go. 
And it's in the best interest of the business that if you don't do this, other parts of the company will struggle, if not be adversely affected. So you've got to, you've got to remove those cancers, if you will, because they can't perpetuate. My best friend became a cancer in the organization. He became entitled. He felt like he had, had, uh, uh, some, let's say specialties. And all of a sudden it came down to no, and it led to his being let go. So are you still uh, friends with him? No. So you, so you basically, you knew if I let this go, this friendship's probably over, but uh, it went needed, toxic, but you needed to toxic. do it for the business. How did it go toxic? It went toxic because he took it personally instead of seeing it professionally. I feel it may, it, it I do believe that there needs to be a distinguishing, a distinguishing characteristic between professional relationships and personal relationships. And let's bring the family business back into it. When you fire your sister-in-law, when you fire your brother, um, you have to realize you still have to go to a family reunion. You're still going to see one another at family socials. And I can say within the family, there are some things that are still toxic that some people don't feel comfortable around one another. Now, I'm not part of the family, but I'm aware of that dynamic and that exists today. So I didn't fire one of the brothers. The previous president fired his own brother. And I fired the other brother. So, I mean, you can imagine in the family dynamic, it was kind of interesting. And and both brothers were shareholders and were firing the shareholders. So, yeah. This no, sounds this like is, a succession. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there was like a coup, right? No, no. But, I mean, they benefited. The company still exists. Yeah. We've been well, around it's just now hard for 42 for them years. To, like you said, if you have the best intention for the business, which is what, as a CEO, you have to be, like, you can't allow somebody in there who's ruining the business. That's that's tough. It is tough. So it's basically trying to keep that distinction between personal and professional. And it's hard. I've let numerous employees go where I have said, look, if I see you in the store, I hope you feel comfortable to say hi in passing because... I hope you're on a path to find something that you're better suited for and will be happy doing. And so I'm trying to give you the opportunity to move in that direction. I hope you can look back on this experience favorably. And that's hard, but if I'm going to be very clear. If you manage the position correctly so that the expectations are clear, they know whether or not they're meeting the expectations. They know whether or not they're doing what is asked of them. And if they're not, they're not surprised when the time comes to separate because they're obviously yeah. not doing their job for sure that's yeah. fascinating that was great roger this has been a pleasure so tell us where we can find i just looked up the universal logo and it is just off center see theirs is in the middle of the globe well and they're in the pacific like, ocean because evolved you know no no no. it is a different yeah it's it's a different part of the world too there's centers around the um the north and south america uh-huh. yours has the is yeah the pacific that's that was that's the big difference is that the rim and, of fire uh, if you will okay you know what's funny is i have to ask the previous president whether or not he knows the origin he of the logo. No, yeah. Well, yeah. he has to know that it looks like the other Universal because I mean that's all I see okay. when I look so at it. So tell us where we can, where we can find you, Universal. Listen to your podcasts. Yeah, not in Florida, not in Orlando. But. Yes, yes, yes. First of all, you can obviously find me on LinkedIn. Love to have you uh, connect with me there. You can go to universalaccounting.com. Got a number of free resources for accounting professionals. 
And then as well, you can visit us at universalaccountingschool.com and at Universal Accounting School, see a number of the resources and services that we provide. So definitely check us out. And always remember, if it's about accounting, it's universal. No, I like it. I like it. This is like accounting high. I feel Roger's like okay. Roger's like the yeah. like the PhD of accounting high, and we're like the middle school math teachers. <laughs> You're the lunch lady. I'm the uh, yeah, I'm not even. That's this true. Is, is I'm like I'm like the way below the lunch lady. This is Ro- Roger is a professional faculty member for sure. He's a chair. Well. Well, you know that in four years, we're going to be accounting you. So all we're going to do is take the first letter of theirs and flip it, right? <laughs> accounting. Yeah. So. Roger, thank you so much. This was awesome. My pleasure. This was fun, guys. Thank Dope. you. Yeah. Thanks, homie. Take care. Ciao.